Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt and this is Kindling Conversation, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. Just a quick note before we get into the next episode. If you haven't already, I'd love you to rate and review Kindling Conversation wherever you get your podcasts or if you enjoy the episode, share it with your friends. All right, thank you and on with the show. Kathy Lett is an author, comedian, and mum of two adult children. Since publishing her first book, Puberty Blues, at the age of 17, she's gone on to write numerous other books, many of them dipping into her own life experiences with grit and humour. Kathy has built a successful writing career, often appearing on TV and travelling between Sydney and London, at the same time as raising her daughter and her son, who's on the autism spectrum. Julius, her son, is now a grown man and by all accounts is thriving in the world. But what I'd like to speak to Kathy about is how she did it. If you have a child on the spectrum, this could be a glimpse at how another mother not only raised a happy, healthy young man, but managed, more or less, to sustain her sanity and build her career at the same time. Kathy, welcome to Kindling Conversation. Oh, that's a lovely introduction. But let me say, it's not that I've, I had that I cope with it. How do I cope with it still every day? Yeah. Because the thing about autistic, having an autistic child, you never really cut the psychological umbilical cord. So the thing that I find hard right now is that all the women my age, I'm 59 now, all the women, my mums my age, are free. You know, they can travel the world. They're going on cougar cruises. They're <laughs> climbing Mount Everest. They're climbing toy boys, whatever. But I can't ever really escape because I'm his, he's still his carer. And that's, I do find that I get a little bit jealous of that. So it is a lifelong um, commitment to a child. It, it feels like that's the, and that's the first sacrifice you made as a mother of a special needs child and mm. and it's one that you've continued to make through life like we all think about as parents that we're making sacrifices when our kids are born and you know you'll always love them etc but it feels like when you have a special needs child that must be part of your realization when you get a diagnosis oh it's awful when you get the diagnosis i mean that's a diagnosis that drags you into the dark and Jules got his diagnosis at three, and suddenly he was like a plant in a gloomy room, and it was my job to drag him into the light in some way. And you become a bit like a lioness, your claws come out, and you just want to protect them. But I think you go, parents of anyone with a special needs child, you go through the same stages. The first stage I went through was denial. I just, I bankrupted myself seeing every medical expert in the country. You know, I hate to think how many doctors' children I've now put through university. <laughs> and then after that, you feel, when you finally accept that this is true, um, you just feel so guilty. You think, was it something I ate? Was it something I drank? Was it that one glass of wine in the final trimester? You know, I used to think if only I'd feng shuied my aura like Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> everything would be fine. <laughs> and then you go through a phase of um, feeling very sorry for yourself and angry. Angry that, why you? You know, that's a really unattractive phase. Well, you probably drink way too much alcohol. <laughs> And then after that, you start to think, well, this is just the unique little person I've been given, and I've just got to do my best by them. And you've 
concentrate on the positive. And the thing about autistic people is that they have a sort of tangential, lateral, literal logic, which is truly original and fascinating. And when my son lost his language, because if I don't know if you know much about autism, but I've, you know, my, my child walked early, talked early. He seemed so bright. I kept thinking, oh, we've got a little genius on our hands. And then at about 13 months, it's like their computer crashes. And they lose language and they retreat into themselves. Um, and then suddenly it was like I hadn't given birth to Jules, but I'd found him under a spaceship and I was raising him as my own. And it's like trying to put together a, a jigsaw puzzle without the benefit of the picture on the on the box. Yes. <laughs> uh, and But when once he got his language back after a lot of speech therapy, when he was about four and a half, I was – and pe- the experts were saying to me, you know, he's going to have to live in a home. You won't be able to cope with him. But he came into the kitchen one day and I was chopping – onions and he looked up at me and said mum if onions make you cry are there vegetables that make you happy what a great question (laughs) it's a brilliant question and the next day he came in and said to me mum what's the speed of dark and I was like wow I mean every day he was asking me these questions I couldn't answer I kept thinking you're not sort of they used the word they used to use the word retarded I said you're not retarded you're kind of quirky and brilliant so I just kept concentrating on the positive side of of his um Personality. I think you have to turn your negatives into a positive always. But um, anyone who's listening who has an autistic person in their lives, you'll know the difficult thing is that because they have no filter, they say whatever they're thinking. So, you know, socially I sweat more than Donald Trump doing a Sudoku <laughs> because I never know what he's going to say. <laughs> and I'm curious with the um – I mean, just to be completely brutally honest here, you did talk about changing the negatives into positives. Mm-hmm. And I do love that. And I know people in my life who are just those optimistic people that get on with things. But sometimes I take a step back and I think, you're really happy. You come across really happy and joyful. But I know that takes effort. I mean, are there some days oh, when you just want to... Oh, yeah. Many days I'm curled up in a fetal position in the corner of the room sobbing. I, d- I just don't talk about that so much because I don't like to whinge and I think you've got to kind of crack hardy a bit if you can but especially during the school years I mean he hated school he said it was like going to Guantanamo Bay Um, and most kids at school are striving to learn math and grammar and he was just striving to make himself invisible and it was I think putting a child with special needs into a mainstream school is as pointless as giving a fish a bath unless there's a, a, a an autistic unit in the school and then they sort of sometimes can um, mix in with the other kids. So he would scream and scream and scream every morning for 10 years and I would have to drag him there and I would come home and cry for an hour and then go to my desk and try and write funny books. So yeah, it was it was really hard and I'm not glossing over that. Um, but the thing that you, I would say to all, especially mums listening, is, re- you know, you can confide in your female friends. Lean on your girlfriends and your mum and your sisters. They People want to help you. Don't try and be brave all the time. You can strip off your emotional undies and do a psychological strip tease that reveals all <laughs> with your close friends. Because everybody's got something in their life that's difficult, whether they're looking after an aged parent, women are the carers, whether they're looking after a fragile sibling or a, 
an ill friend or or they have a child with special needs. We, we all, we're the copers and the carers. So everybody's got something. And, and if you open up and become, let yourself be vulnerable, other people share. And it just deepens your friendships. So, yeah, just keep those girlfriends close. As I told you earlier, the human wonder bras, uplifting, supportive, and making each other look bigger and better. <laughs> keep you wonder bras close. Yeah. And, and I assume that you had your female friends that did that for you? Yeah, my, and I've got three sisters, three sensational sisters, and we're really close. And my mum was a teacher. So she was the first one to say to me she thought Jules wasn't, um, you know, neurotypical. She spotted it early. And, yes, and my girlfriend. So without that and without our Chardonnay, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Kathy Lett. She's an author, comedian, mum of two adult children, one of whom is on the autism spectrum. And we're talking about how she um, raised a healthy, happy young man and how she's raising him still, and yes. that's part of the deal. Yeah. Um, Kathy, I know you mentioned the Chardonnay then. Uh, there's a lot of talk for parents about having time for themselves and, you know, you can't give if your cup is empty, all that stuff. <laughs> but I often look at parents who have special needs children and just wonder how they could possibly find the time. Um, you mentioned when Jules was younger that you would take him to occupational therapy. Yeah. You would have had homework you had to bring home for him. Then mm -hmm. you would have had all the research you would have done mm -hmm. so you could get the best possible care for mm -hmm. him. What's your take on that time? You mentioned friends and Chardonnay. <laughs> but was there any, were those your main pillars? I mean, how did you get through it? Well, luckily I, I work at home. So I'm a, I'm a port, my profession's portable. So for me, at least when I was taking him to occupational therapy and speech therapy and cranial massage and all the other things I tried, I would just sit in the writing room, in the waiting room writing. <laughs> but for other parents, it's true, they never have any respite. And the nicest thing you can do, the kindest thing you can do for any, any of your friends who do have a child with special needs is to give them a day off. Take that child out, you know, go take them to the movies, include them in your family gathering, whatever, and just give that parent a break. Even if they just want to lie in the bath all day and read a book, it's really important to, to recharge. So, yeah, that is the kindest thing you can do. But I would also say for any anyone listening who has um, a child on, on the autistic spectrum, the two things, the two top tips I would give, one is build up their self-esteem because their self-esteem becomes limbo low because all day they're told they're wrong, they're stupid, they're out of sync. And the other thing is to feed their obsessions because autistic people are very obsessive. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, Amazonian moth wing fluctuations or Tibetan nose fluting or, <laughs> or igneous rock formations, whatever it is, feed it because you never know where it will take you. Because all those scientists and mathematicians and artists, they're all on the spectrum. And that's what makes them so obsessive about one subject to the point of brilliance. And with my own son, Jules, you know, he wanted to be an actor. And I kept thinking, how can you put the artistic into autistic? You know, how can you act possibly emote to the with the nuances of, of of a character but then I thought about it and I realized that autistic people are acting every day they're acting trying to be normal so I enrolled him in a foundation acting course for a year and I used to go and watch him and I think 
you're really good. And I thought, oh, no, it's the mum goggles, you know, love filter, you know. You know how parents see everything yes. through the love filter. But then he won two little awards and then he then he um, made two little films and then he was cast in this big BBC series called Holby City. It's a medical drama that's been running for 17 years, but he's been in it for two years now. It's the first time they've cast an autistic actor to play an autistic character. And he's now kind of well-known. He's got six million viewers a week. And the best thing is it's done more to take the stigma out of autism than a million dry documentaries because the audience relate to the character and they care for the character and it's given them an insight into how the autistic mind works. And he's not playing himself. He's playing a character very different from him. But he's a, he's a very good actor and he's playing with Gemma Redgrave and he's got Catherine Russell, Hugh Quashie, all these wonderful actors who came from the Royal Shakespeare Company. And I keep thanking them for being so kind to him. They keep saying, no, we're not being kind to him. He's a really good actor. So it's been an extraordinary experience. But it takes a lot to get him there on set and all that behind the scenes. I'm still, I'm still, you know, working like mad to make sure that he keeps his confidence up and all of that. But it's been, it's been really, really exciting. Um, my best friend, whose son is on the spectrum, has two children. She's got a, her son and then her younger son. And one of the things I know that makes her feel um, guilty, mums yeah. feel guilty all the time. But, Our guilt glands throb, yes. Yes, is the fact that she has... Um, she feels like she's neglecting her younger son. Right, And that right. she's dragging him to all the occupational therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you have to... Did you struggle with that guilt as well? Totally. Totally struggled with the guilt because when you have a child with a, with special needs, they take up a lot of oxygen. But all the research shows that the child, the sibling of, of of a child with special needs, grows up to be the most well-rounded, compassionate adult because they've had to be very self-reliant. They've also learned not to be self, not to be self-centered. They've learned a lot of about sympathy and. Um, and just compassion. And also they value their friends so much that they always have a wide range of very loyal and strong friendships. So the upside is that you are raising a, a wonderful adult. So don't feel guilty. Now, as I as I said before, and you just mentioned that Julius has grown up to be um, healthy, thriving. He's got a job that he loves. And... Yes, your job hasn't ended, but what would you say to mums who do have young children in this position now and they're looking forward and wondering what their child's life will be like and wondering what their life will be like? Mm. What would you say to them? Oh, I would say you deserve a mothering medal because it's really hard and my heart goes out to every single one of you. I would say try and find an online group of mothers. It's mainly mum. Of course, there are some dads, but you know, divorce statistics, um, depression statistics, and unemployment statistics are skyrocket high amongst uh, families of where there's a child with special needs. Unfortunately, so find an online support group and get together and just share ideas and anything you find. You can pass on the knowledge. Um, and just, you know, keep drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, <laughs> yeah, top tip. <laughs> yeah. But also, catch, you know, lead, 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 lead your own life. Don't become a mother martyr. 
because that's very easy to do. And I wrote a book called The Boy Who Fell to Earth, which was the first time I'd ever spoken in public about my child's autism. And I didn't write it till he was 21 because I wanted to get his permission. Even though it's a novel, obviously I was going to have to talk about my own personal experiences with autism. So I gave him the, the manuscript to read when he was 21 and said, would it be all right if we came out about his condition? And he read the book and said, well, Mum, it's a celebration of idiosyncrasies, eccentricities, and being different. And I was like, thanks, Jill. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. But, this, but the other part of that book is um, it's about the mother learning to let go and to, to lead her own life and the fact that she sort of needed her son in the end more than he needed her because he was her excuse not to have a relationship, not to pursue her career, you know. And you mustn't do that. You have to, you know, understand that you are still an individual and that you have your own desires and destiny and you deserve it. So don't become a martyr. It's very easy to slip into that mode. So, But I, but I wrote The Boy Who Fell to Earth. I made it into a love story and it's a funny love story so that it... Well, it wasn't just for people who have a child on the spectrum. I wanted it to be accessible to all so that while you were reading it and enjoying the story and the pace and the humour, the seam of autism was running along underneath and educating people at the same time as um, entertaining them. So I always try and do that in my books. And then I wrote a sequel to that called Best Laid Plans, which tackles the taboo subject of what happens when you have a child with special needs who becomes sexual. And as far as I know, there's never been a book addressing that very, very tricky And I think there's mothers everywhere going, well, thank goodness they don't have to read that one until they're older. <laughs> Kathy, thank you so much for your honesty and your time Oh, today. it's an absolute pleasure. It's lovely to see you. And why don't we just go and get a glass of shardy now? I think I, think I have to. Oh, Cardin, darling, Cardin, <laughs> eh? Let's have some cardi. <laughs> Thanks, Kathy. That's Kathy Lett. She's an author, comedian and mum of two and we'll pop a link up to her website so you can check out those books that she just mentioned. 